Hello and welcome to QuickLink Podcast on Tuesday the 4th of May. There's one dose of racing action today, and Jez returns with the next instalment of his guide to racing tactics. But first, let's start with the shorts. Emmanuel Bookman has signed a contract extension with Bora Hansgrower, the team he joined back in 2015. Contracted now to the end of 2024, that will be his 10th year with the squad, with whom he's won four pro races, including the German Nationals in 2015 and a stage of Itzulia in 2019. And of course, he finished fourth overall at the Tour de France the same year. The 28-year-old is heading to his first Giro d'Italia this weekend, with two Tour de France and two Vuelta Espana already under his belt. And the UEC have revealed the programme for this September's European Road Championships, being held back in Trento, northern Italy, after the event was switched last year to Plue. On Wednesday the 8th of September, the juniors will tackle a 22.4km time trial before the mixed relay faces 43.2. On day two, that's Thursday the 9th of September, it's the turn of the elite and under-23s, again over the same flat 22.4km. Friday the 10th brings the first road races. There's 67.6 kilometres for the junior women, 80.8 for the under-23 women, and 107.2 kilometres for the junior men. That's 5, 6 and 8 laps, respectively. On Saturday, the under-23 men race 10 laps for 133.6k, and then the elite women tackle 107.2 kilometres, that's 7 laps. And then on Sunday the 12th of September... The elite men face a total of 179.2 kilometres. That's a 73.2k loop ahead of eight finishing circuits. Now we're at the halfway stage of our A to Z of road racing tactics, so it's over to Jez Cox. Here he is with part M. Hello, quick linkers. This week's letter is M, and it's a dark and sinister one. M for Mafia. When it comes to racing, and particularly on the near continent, some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Whilst others may not even have a clue, others perhaps might be in denial or see it as hearsay, or something from the age of woolen jerseys and Belgian potted plants, perhaps. But it does exist, even now. And I want to help you either spot it, if you're racing amongst it, or potentially to take advantage of it, even if it only works once. And so to school. The Oxford Dictionary definition of Mafia is 1. An organised internal body of criminals operating originally in Sicily and now especially in Italy and the US having a complex and ruthless behavioural code. And 2. A group regarded as exerting a hidden sinister influence. A group regarded as exerting a hidden sinister influence. Number two is exactly what really does exist in certain sectors of our sport. Not all, but it's there. And okay, so it's not really that sinister. But it can be dangerous, and it is pretty serious. The question is, I guess, is it cheating? Now, along with others, I've long maintained that the most worrying and risky subterfuge and skullduggery happens at the two layers, the two levels, sorry, just beneath the very highest echelons of pro cycling. So really, I'm talking about national and Elite 1, Elite 2 level racing across Europe. But in pockets, cycling mafia behaviour does pop up in all areas all over the world. Historically, there's mostly anecdotal evidence that has linked loosely grouped cycling mafias to performance-enhancing drugs use, and supply, I should say. But as this is both 
illegal and undeniably cheating, I want to move beyond that and look at what mafia behaviour is from a tactical perspective and, crucially, how it might be used to your advantage if you're racing amongst it. As if to illustrate my point above regarding the level at which this behaviour is most evident, I first came across Le Mafia in 2001 whilst racing in France. The key to Mafia behaviour within racing is that it should be very hard to spot for the uninitiated whilst the race is actually on. Its organisation and planning back then, however, was much more clear. Strong riders from multiple teams or clubs would arrange to meet somewhere prior to the start in order to discuss who needed the win in the race, where the preems would go, and how the race should unfold. I know, it's crushing, isn't it? This is sport, it should be open and fair, and all about the competition. And you are right. But two things get in the way of that. Money, for one. And then the desperate need to reach the next level. And it's in that melting pot of need that strength in numbers becomes a primary tactic. I've actually been in races way back in the good old days where multiple riders from different teams would block the front of the race and literally only allow set riders through a tiny gap in order for them to join a forming breakaway before closing the door again. It's quick and riders just two or three rows back and beyond may well have not seen it. Many young riders racing at this level abroad will know what I'm talking about and may well have seen it. So what can you do? If you are strong enough to be a player in these races but aren't part of that mafia inner circle or whatever it happens to be called, then there are a small number of options. Option one, play them at their own game by waiting and watching to try to assess who is part of it and how many have already chased gaps and closed things down. Then wait until most of them have done so, before counterattacking at an advantageous point. <laughs> now, I tried this myself once in a race, in the Auvergne, actually. But having been caught again, I then found myself surrounded by four or five riders, of course, all from different teams and completely boxed in, unable to do anything. Simple, but effective on their part. If you do get one over them, then it will also be very hard to repeat, as you'll soon become an agenda item on their pre-race meeting, which, I should say, by the way, almost certainly happens on WhatsApp now, rather than in person behind the Buffalo Grill. On to option two. Option two. Double bluff them by visually subscribing to their mafia with a wink and a head nod when the race is in the balance, as you join in with what they're doing and look to help them. If, in the moment they need you, you may actually find yourself given some rope, at which point you carefully look for the chance to give them the flick, as we call it in road racing, and jump one of your newfound buddies, just as you're about to bridge a gap, perhaps, or as they swing off to let you come through having done a turn. As I've said before, it will only work once, even if it does the first time. Option three. Now, you know what's coming. If you can't beat them, join them. Be careful though, because this is dangerous ground. There are rules and fines related to things such as bringing the sport into disrepute, and beyond that, there are multiple reasons why you should not become part of the problem. My genuine advice is to prioritise integrity over ambition, because you're a long time retired as a racing cyclist, well, some are anyway. And I think I'd rather be remembered as the chipper who was a nice guy than the worm who snagged two UCI points and was looked at by a World Tour team, but someone didn't file the paperwork on time. In a way, though, 
not joining them actually might not be an easy option for every rider. And that's because the regional mafia in cyclosport run deeper than just the riders themselves. Team managers, sponsors and mechanics, many of whom may well have been riders in their day, may well also have been active in the mafia sphere, and some might still be. In a way, I think my tactical advice to riders entering this level um, remains a kind of blend of all of the above. Maintain your own integrity, do what your team require of you without breaking any rules, and finally, always be ready to take something for yourself. Road cycling as a sport is such a fantastic and visceral dichotomy. It's apparently all about the team, and of course that mafia principle of a silently operating strength in numbers sits well with that. And yet, in both preparation and execution, it's a ruthlessly individual sport. Finding your own path to where you want to get to in the echelons of our sport is a personal journey, and one which is peppered with opportunities to bolster your sense of integrity, or at its worst, to utterly destroy it. In a way, I think shining a light on the Mafia behaviour shouldn't be depressing, and it certainly shouldn't be surprising, but it does need to be done. If nothing, to prepare riders for a world that mimics the everyday world of work. People talk. People will collude. Allegiances are formed and some are broken. And you won't be aware of all of them either, as a rider or a spectator, but don't let it kill your enjoyment of our great sport. I must say, I sometimes wonder that if we within cycling just gave it a different name that drew away from the godfather imagery, it might be slightly better understood. So M is for mediated inter-team cooperation. Yeah, yeah, that should stick. Now listen, next week is brought to you by the letter N. Do not miss it. I mean, seriously, do not miss it, whatever you do. Missing it is not even an option. I'm giving you some clues there. See you next week. You can find Jez online at jezcox.com and on Twitter at jezcox, J-E-Z-C-O-X. Get in touch with both of us with your prediction for next week's letter N. These are honestly the highlight of my week. To the racing action today then, and to Rwanda for stage three of the eight-stage Tour de Rwanda, 171.6 kilometres in store from Nyanza to Jikumbi, the longest stage of the race. Four climbs come within 40 kilometres of each other in the middle third of the stage, a pair of sprint preems either side of the climbing, and after all of that, the whore category Tetero climb, and the finish is up the Cat 3 Jikumbi with a 7% kick towards the line, a total of 4,000 metres of elevation today. 18-year-old Santiago Umba was in yellow, holding a two-second advantage as race leader. Orange KOM jersey was with Eric Manzibayo of Benediction Ignite. Lennart Tugels of Tartaletto Isorex took the first sprint in Muhanga to extend his lead in that classification. He was later joined by Thomas Goitom of Eritrea, Patrick Bukasengi of Benediction Ignite and Cyril Gautier of B&B Hotels. Goitom did puncture out of that break of four ahead of the climbing. Buyukasenki took the Cat 2 Camioni climb and then Turgles took the Cat 3 Ruzenzi and the Cat 1 at Canyonia at the midpoint of the stage. Buyukasenki was caught inside the final 40 kilometres, leaving Turgles and Gautier tackling the Hoare category Tetero as a duo. Gautier was the first to crack and the front of the bunch caught Turgles one kilometre from the top. Meanwhile, race leader Santiago Umba was sliding out the back of the peloton in the driving rain. Carlos Quintero of Terenganu attacked over the top to take that summit ahead of the rest and he opened up a gap of 30 seconds ahead of the final 10 kilometres as a chase group led by yesterday's stage winner Alan Boyu set off in hot pursuit. 
In the final kilometre of the 7% climb to the finish in Jikumbi, Quintero's gap was down to just 10 seconds, but it looked like he'd be able to stay away. But Boyo had other ideas and launched a last gasp attack at the line as the road flattened out, and he passed a very surprised looking Quintero 10 metres from home. Alan Boyo of B&B Hotels with his second stage win back-to-back, Carlos Quintero of Terranguru second, James Piccoli of Israel Startup Nation was third, and then Brian Sanchez, Metkel Eop, Alex Hone, Alex Viamoz, Oscar Sevilla, Christian Rodriguez and Quentin Pasha, the rest of the top ten. Brian Sanchez moves back into the race lead thanks to his win on stage one. He's level on time with eight other riders. Leonard Turgles leads the mountains and intermediate sprint classifications now, and Nahom Zerai is the best young rider. He's 10th on GC. Tomorrow, 123.9 kilometres, starting back in the capital of Kigali and heading to a pair of Cat 2 and then a pair of Cat 1 climbs, and then a finish up the Cat 2 climb at Musanze. Also looking ahead to tomorrow are the 175 riders on the start list for Volta Algarve, postponed from February. Five stages, starting with the 189.5km run tomorrow from Lagos to Portimao, and it all wraps up on Sunday atop Alto de Malhau. It's a pro series second tier race, so there are seven World Tour teams there, UAE, AG2R, Bora, Dukernik, Groupama, Ineos and Intermarche. No previous winners on the start list, but UAE are led by Rui Costa, supported by the Oliveira twins. Oliver Nason and Mark Serro will go stage hunting for AG2R. Ackerman, Kamner and Pollitt are there for Bora. Dukernik's team, right? Bennett, Jakobsen, Ballerini, Morku and Archbold are the lead outriders who also have Kasper Asgreen in the mix. Obviously the winner of E3 and Flanders. Ben Thomas is in with a good shout for the Day 4 time trial with FDJ. His royal amazingness Ethan Hayter is joined by Basso, Sosa, Hanau, Rivera, Rodriguez and Wirth for Ineos. The Van Poppel brothers are sure to be in the mix for Intermarche. And a shout out to Joe Laverick, he's there with Hagen's Berman Axion. He might have a shot at the TT, either way I'm sure he'll write all about it in every single magazine when he gets home. Joe is supported by our friends at the Rayner Foundation. Until tomorrow, ride safe and take care. Thanks for listening to QuickClick Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news, results, opinion and chat. We'll be back tomorrow with another show, but in the meantime, you can hear all of our previous episodes at quicklinkpod.co.uk and find us across social media at quicklinkpod. If fantasy cycling is your thing, our Velo Games show league code is 57273217. Like and subscribe, rate and review, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye now.